Well, last week we started through this series going through the book of Acts uh, called Pioneer Church. And when we did that, we were talking about the power of story, particularly that underdog rising above impossible odds kind of story of which the book of Acts is absolutely one of those. It's included in that kind of story. In uh, recent years, another kind of story like this, this underdog rising above kind of story that was reintroduced to a whole new generation of readers through the films was uh, J.R. Tolkien's classic trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've ever read or, or seen uh, these films, but in the second book, second movie, whatever it was, The Two Towers, there's this scene that's powerfully portrayed in the film where King Theoden, Aragorn, and a number of the other travelers, they're huddled up inside this mountain fortress called Helm's Deep. And as they're inside there, trying to protect themselves, the people of Rohan from this sea of orcs that's coming against them, trying to wipe them off the face of Middle-earth, it becomes soon evident to all they're not going to be able to hold them off. The forces are pushing in too strong, just too much coming, and they're not going to make it. But as the sun rises on that fateful morning, Aragorn remembers a promise that his friend Gandalf had given to him, that he would come and and give aid to him in this battle, and he was to watch for him. It is coming, he said. He said, what was it exactly? Look to my coming on the fifth day, he said. At dawn, look to the east. And so trusting in that promise, King Theoden and Aragorn, Aragorn, a number of them, they they ride out right into the middle of the battle, just as Gandalf comes, shining with light, and all these warriors come charging down the hill. It's a super awesome scene, CG to the max, but it is awesome. And ultimately, the promise is kept, and victory is won that day over otherwise impossible odds. Well, here in the book of Acts, now having seen their master and friend risen from the dead and becoming convinced of that fact. The apostles are they're fighting bravely as well over an, this impossible odds surrounding them, the religious rulers, the, the Romans. They're, they're fighting, trying to win at this mission that Jesus has given them to make disciples of all nations. But they had not yet received this, this promise that Jesus said he was sending, this power from on high that was supposed to come, which... We looked at last week in verse 8 of chapter 1. So Luke tells us now here in chapter 2, they're they're gathered all together in this upper room, waiting and praying for this promise to be kept. And when Jesus does come through, and they're clothed with power from on high, they too rush out into the battle, just passionately proclaiming the message, being these powerful witnesses for God, so much so. Remember we read in verse 13 there, people watching them assume that they must be drunk. Okay, no, not because they're, they're stumbling around hugging everybody, saying, hey, Jesus loves you, man. He loves you. That's not what's happening. They, they are just so recklessly proclaiming the message, social constraints thrown off, just like that guy we've all seen up on the karaoke stage. He's clearly had one too many. He's pouring out his, my heart will go on, or whatever. It's like that. Just this reckless abandon. They don't care. They just are like, people need to know this, and their witness is empowered now that they've received this promise, and the Spirit has come. There's a whole new life and power to their witness and their preaching now that Jesus has kept his promise to them. 
We see in Peter's preaching here, this very first Christian sermon ever preached, that Jesus truly did keep his promise and they became these witnesses and they did have this power so much so that the battle that day, if we could call it that, saw 3,000 come to become part of the number, become part of the family of God. But when we read things like this today, it can be kind of a mixed reaction to it, can't it? I mean, we're reading this and we're saying, okay, well, that's, that's awesome. But, I mean, that's not my context. I mean, of course, they, they, they could be bold and brazen and running out like this, proclaiming Jesus, being these amazing witnesses. I could probably do that too. Yeah, if, if, if these kind of things happened to me, I could rush out and tell people I'd be totally empowered. But, I mean, I don't know. Hmm, I could ask my parents, but I'm pretty sure at four years old when Jesus saved me, there wasn't, wasn't no big wind coming in or, or tongues of fire on my head. Uh, yeah, yeah, my parents put me in French immersion, but no, I've never spoken any other language that I didn't know. Uh, this isn't my experience. How am I supposed to be this powerful witness for Jesus today when none of this is my experience? And the very short answer for you is that it doesn't have to be. None of this has to be your experience at all in order for you to be powerful, bold witnesses for Jesus today where he's put you. And we're going to dig into this in a lot more depth here, but just right off the top, I think a really helpful and hopefully freeing distinction which we need to have whenever we come to the Bible is to be able to understand and discern what this passage, what any passage of the Bible is actually teaching us. Because there's two types of passages in the Bible. There is what we're going to talk about called prescriptive passages, passages that prescribe things for us. They tell us exactly, this is how you are supposed to do this. And then there are descriptive passages, descriptive books that simply are just describing how things happened. This is what happened in that situation, in that context. And I'm going to say that, okay, for instance, when David strikes down Goliath with his sling and five smooth stones and cuts off his head, that's not prescribing for us how we are to deal with schoolyard bullies. That is a description of how the Spirit empowered David to win an otherwise unwinnable battle. What I'm going to suggest to you here is that in our passage, and actually most of the book of Acts that we're going to encounter is primarily descriptive material. It's descriptive. It's describing for us, informing us of how we live out our mission. It's an information. It's giving us a description of it, but it's not necessarily showing us how. It's not prescribing, you need to do these things in order to be the same witness, because it's not going to be the same. Spirit works all kinds of different ways. My prayer is that as we understand that and we come to see just what was happening here when the Spirit is poured out and this church is empowered to be witnesses, that it's going to breathe new life and power into our witness today. It's going to help us to have that same boldness and abandon as we proclaim the wonders of God in our lives as well. So in order to help us do that, I want to look at our passage this morning in just three ways. I want to show you the promise kept the true power of the promise, and then finally, the promise offered. Promise kept. The true power of the promise and the promise offered. So if you closed your Bibles, would you open them up again? Follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Again, what are we describing here? These are the continuing works of Jesus on earth 
by the power of His Spirit, as the promised Spirit is now given to the apostles. So let's start out by looking at the promise kept. The promise kept. Now, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this first point, but that doesn't mean it's not incredibly significant. The point here I simply want to make is that Jesus was faithful to follow through on the promise that He made. He, was, he kept His promise to the disciples. That's, he he'd promised before He ascended to heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. And what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 2 is that's exactly what He did. He did it. He, he kept His promise. I mean, now, this Spirit had been actually promised by God through generations. I mean, we saw when Peter quoted Joel's prophecy there, the Spirit is going to come, God says. It's coming one day. Passages like Ezekiel 36. Listen to what God says there. I will put my Spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes so that you be careful to obey my rules. Isaiah 43, I will pour out on water on a land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So this has been a promise coming for a long time now. And as we saw last week, particularly in John's gospel, John 14 through 16, Jesus is talking all about how, hey, when I go away, I'm going to send this spirit, I'm going to send this comforter who's going to be with you. And again and again, you see, you see Jesus doing this, making what would be otherwise unkeepable promises, and yet coming through every single time. He is a promise keeper. And what I, what I, want, to, I want to highlight that so much because I want you to see that Jesus is faithful. He is a, a faithful promise keeper. I want you to see that you too can put your trust in Jesus for whatever impossible situation that you're fa- facing today. He is faithful to keep His promises. Listen, all of us at one time or another, sometimes repeatedly, we've been tricked, we've been duped, sometimes we've been just full-on swindled by people, and that wears us down, doesn't it? Over time, we can come to the place where we don't want to put our faith and trust in anything or anybody. But listen, as the Apostle Paul said so well, 2 Corinthians 1.10, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. You believe that? All the promises of God in His Word find their yes in Jesus. And as we continue to study here through the book of Acts, I pray that your confidence in Jesus' ability to keep His promises to you is only just going to continue to be grown, that your trust, His trustworthiness is going to continue to be demonstrated to you that will increase your confidence and power in your own witness. Jesus is faithful to do what He promised. But, as we saw last week, He's faithful to keep His promise when we rightly understand what that keeping of the promise is. Remember, last week, uh, we, we saw Jesus was faithful to keep His promise to, to send power, but it didn't come the way that they expected it, it was going to come, right? They thought they were going to get some kind of superpowers, and Jesus said, no, no, the power I'm giving you is to be my witnesses. Same thing with us. I don't want any of us to drive into that ditch that says, hey, listen, Jesus didn't keep His promises to me the way that I expected Him to, the way that I hoped He would, and so He's not trustworthy. No, no, He is. He is faithful. But as the the sovereign God of the universe, as the ultimate promise keeper, He also has complete freedom to follow through on those promises the way that He knows truly is best, irregardless of whether or not we think it's best. He is a faithful 
to keep the promise. He's a faithful promise keeper, but not always going to be the way that we expect him to keep it. So that's the promise kept. Again, not a long discussion, but key to our understanding is now we move into our second point, the true power of the promise. The true power of the promise. And I say true power because particularly in light, again, of what we discussed last week, if Jesus promised to send his disciples this power, why? To be his witnesses. That's so key because when we come to sections like this now in the Bible, we're going to see, we see these amazing, miraculous things happening, and there can be a really a strong temptation to get distracted, to start focusing in specifically on the sign and forget what the sign is actually pointing to. So, here's what I mean. Remember uh, when we were going through uh, the I Am series, we talked about how Jesus did a lot of miraculous signs. They, they demonstrated His deity. But they also taught spiritual truths about who Jesus was and how he interacts with us and how how we have these spiritual needs as well. Remember in John 6 how Jesus had fed 5,000 people and their families with uh, five loaves and two fish? If you don't know this story, the very next day, these people all come after Jesus again, expecting him to do the same thing. And Jesus, what does he say? He tells them plainly, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. What's Jesus' point? He's saying the miracle, the sign, that, that's actually not the point. That a miraculous thing I did isn't the point I want you to focus on, the one who did the sign. That's the point. That's what I want you to look to. That's what I want you to focus on. And in Acts 2 and everywhere else where you see the apostles do some of these amazing, miraculous things, the very same thing is true. The miracle, the sign, whatever it is, that's never the point. The one doing it is. But, now that's going to lead us back to what we said last week, what sounded like a throwaway point, talking about what the title of the book of Acts is. Do you remember what we said? That really long title that just seemed like way too much to hold on to? We said that the book of Acts was about the continuing works of Jesus. Okay, So the one here that these signs the apostles are going to do, the one that's pointing to is Jesus. It's Jesus that these signs are pointing to. That's what the apostles are going to continue to point people back to. This is not me. I'm not the one. Don't focus on this amazing thing that God did through me. Focus on the one who did it through me. So, That's the thing that we need to remember as well. Jesus didn't transform his disciples then or today into powerful miracle workers. He transformed us into witnesses. Remember, that's the power he said he was going to give us. And these signs that Jesus performs through us, whatever they may be, are only intended to create a platform for our witness. That's what these signs end up doing. They create a platform for the witness to be declared. Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this sign that Jesus does perform through his apostles here. It's important to understand how it is that Jesus is building up and supporting their witness. Look at verse 1 of our passage here. Luke tells us here the context, the when and the where that this all goes down. He says this is in Jerusalem. All the apostles are gathered together in one place, and it's on this day called Pentecost. Pentecost. Now that day, uh, the, the word Pentecost just means the 50th day. That's what that word means. And this came, it was a a celebration that took place seven weeks after another important celebration in the Jewish life, which was Passover. 
when uh, they celebrated their freedom from slavery in Egypt. So seven weeks later, this is why Pentecost is also called the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks later, they celebrate this next festival called Pentecost. But as it came to the, uh, uh, the time, the New Testament period, this celebration kind of shifted a bit. It also came to be celebrating the time when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Because the people of Israel came to understand that that happened 50 days after their freedom from Exodus. Or sorry, their exodus from Egypt. So 50 days, they've crossed the Red Sea. 50 days later, that's when God shows up on Mount Sinai and gives the law to Moses. So that's why, again, Pentecost, 50th day, that's what this celebration came to be about. Now, that event on Mount Sinai is incredibly important, actually, as it relates to the specific features that we see here in our passage today. Look at verses uh, 2, starting there. We see these things happening. It says, first of all, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house. Then verse 3, what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them then are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak in these other tongues and languages. Okay, so we've got three things happening. A violent wind, fire, and voices. These three elements are part of this miraculous sign that happens. Listen, compare that with the summary that uh, we have in the book of Hebrews of what happened when God gave the law to Moses. Hebrews 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. Listen to how the book of Hebrews describes this giving of the law to Moses. He says this, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is a burning with fire, the darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or the sound of a voice speaking words to those who heard it, who begged that no further word be spoken to them. We've got all these same elements coming in now. Violent wind, fire. We've got voices speaking. Given those similarities between those two things, I don't think it's insignificant at all that this sign that Jesus performs through the apostles here now is happening on this day when they're celebrating the giving of the law to Moses. Why? Because what's happening when God sends His Spirit, when this promised Spirit finally comes, what's happening? This is the inauguration. This is the beginning of a new covenant that God is forming with His people. A new and better covenant than the old Mosaic covenant, which was all about following the law. This new giving of the Spirit is starting today in the giving of the Spirit. I think that's why it's so significant that these things happen at the same time. It's a new and better covenant that isn't about giving the law again. It's about writing the law now on their hearts. As the Spirit indwells, then the law, it says, is now written on their hearts. Remember, that's what Ezekiel said. I'll put my Spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what we see in passages like Jeremiah 33, Hebrews 8. It's speaking of this new covenant that starts today on Pentecost. So in these two verses, there we have all of these same pictures, these same miraculous phenomena happening that happened in Exodus 20 in the giving of the law. And then in the midst of that, the apostles then are given this miraculous gift whereby they can speak in languages they've never learned before so that all these different people groups, it says people from every nation under heaven, this is meaning everybody in the known world here in Jerusalem for this festival can understand this gospel proclamation in their own language. Look at what happens here, verse 7 and 8 now of our passage. They're utterly amazed 
They said, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us understands them in our own native language? They're just amazed at what's going on. Verse 6 tells us it was that big wind, the rushing wind that draws the crowd. They hear that and they come. And then the second and third signs, the tongues of fire, the speaking in tongues, that's what empowered and, and, and enabled the apostles. What did it enable them to do? To be witnesses. It enabled them to be witnesses. The entire rest of chapter 2, really the, the rest of the book of Acts, is all about the enabling of the apostles in all kinds of different ways to be witnesses to Jesus. Not to be miracle workers. To be witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Do you see the difference between those two things? So in this first pouring out of the Spirit, Jesus enables his, impo- his apostles, particularly Peter now, to speak in languages that everybody can understand. He gives what's what I would say is the most efficient proclamation of the gospel ever given because he gives one message and everybody can understand at the same time. doesn't matter who's there, they all get it, even though he's just talking like I am right now. I can't tell you how much I would love to have this gift on Monday morning when I'm doing the ESL Bible study. I realize even in saying that, that would defeat the whole purpose because they're trying to also learn English. But it would be really helpful for me as I'm trying to if I could just speak and they would hear it in Chinese, I, I would love it. Again, the, the thing I'm trying to emphasize here, the thing I want us to see is the true power, the true power the apostles are given is not ultimately the gift of tongues. It's not. That's, it's, it's the empowering of the Spirit to be witnesses. The gift of tongues is just the means by which they're able to be witnesses. And we know it's just a means for the moment because later on they don't have it. They don't continue to speak in tongues now for the rest of their lives. This is a moment in time where they're given an ability so that they can be witnesses. It's empowered, but it's not an eternal thing. That's why we know the gift itself wasn't the thing to focus on. Now, I show this to people sometimes, and the pushback I always get from people is they say, oh, I get it, you're a cessationist, which means that I'm somebody who, who would believe that these gifts of the Spirit are no longer active in the church today, healing, prophecy, tongues. I, that, that's what it means to be a cessationist. And I always push back right away and say, absolutely not. No, I, I totally think God can still do these things in the church today. I think He could. I just think they're not the point. Those gifts are not supposed to be the thing that we run after in the focus. The point is our witness. That's why some of my charismatic friends, they'll, they'll tell me, Wes, you need, to, you need to learn to speak in tongues, brother. And I always want to say, well, why would I want to do that? Why? When Jesus gave the Holy Spirit, what did he say? You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses, right? Not you'll be my healers, you'll be my tongue speakers, you'll be my witnesses. Now Jesus may absolutely give me the power to one day to be a witness to someone, speak in a way that they can hear me in their own language. And he could totally do that. I want him to do that if that's what he wants to do. But it's going to be his initiative towards me. It's not going to be me seeking to do that, you see? His initiative here to help them be witnesses was to pour this out. Because you know what the apostles weren't doing in that upper room? They weren't sitting around thinking, you know what would be awesome? Is if when we preached, when the Holy Spirit came, everyone could hear us in their language at the same time. They wouldn't have even thought to ask for that. No, this was God's initiative to them in order to do what? To empower their witness. And he does it in all kinds of different ways. This is just one moment and one way that he did it. 
but he's empowering them to be effective witnesses because that's what the true power is, to be witnesses. So what that means for us this morning now, given what we talked about this morning, is you don't need to have a hurricane blow through your house. You don't, you don't need to have tongues of fire, be able to speak in other languages in order to be a powerful witness. You don't. You don't. That doesn't need to be your experience. What we need, all of us here who know Jesus as our Savior and have His Spirit living in us, we need His empowering to be witnesses to what He's done in our lives, wherever and however He chooses to do that. That's the power He gives us in whatever circumstances, and whatever context, and whatever way He wants to do that. If He chooses to empower our witness by enabling us to do something miraculous, then great. We should be totally open to Him doing that. But, again, as the apostles are showing us here today, let's remember those signs, those miraculous things, those are not the point. Those aren't the things we should be seeking. Those are, that's not the true power we get from the Spirit. It's the power to be witnesses. Jesus, what do you want to do through me? How do you want to witness through me to these people that you've put in my life? That's, that's the power he gives us. Okay, so that's the promise kept. That's the true power of the promise. Last thing I want to look at quickly here is what this witness looks like. Again, this is descriptive here. It's showing us what happened in this context, but I think there's things we can learn still as we study what the witness looked like for Peter and the apostles. So let's look finally here at the promise offered. The promise offered. When we look at Peter's witness for Jesus and the wonders being declared by the apostles, I think we see at least two elements that we can apply as we seek to be empowered witnesses for Jesus in our own context today. Two things I think we see. First of all, Peter points to Jesus alone as the one who can give the promise. And secondly, the promise is offered freely to all without distinction. Those are two elements I think we can absolutely apply to our witness today. First of all, look at verse 22 and 23. Peter's giving this message and he's explaining how Jesus now is able to give the promise. Look here, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So, so right away, in what's probably, well, I would say, one of the most non-seeker-friendly messages ever, Peter just points to everyone. He's like, yeah, you killed Jesus. Yes. And guess what? He was God's son. He really was the Messiah, and you killed him. You worked alongside other people, yes, but you're responsible. But he says, because it was actually God's set plan beforehand, it didn't work. It didn't work. God raised him from the dead, and as he says there, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Couldn't work. The plans of men seeking to put out the light of the world, it, was, it didn't work. It wasn't possible to do so. Now look at verse 32. Jump down here. He says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. There's that witness language explicitly he's using. 
We've been empowered to be witnesses. He says, we've, we saw it with our own eyes. We saw him die, and now he's referring back to, remember it said about those many convincing proofs? Jesus stuck around for 40 days, giving them many convincing proofs. I really am alive. Feed me. Touch me. Touch the nail prints. I really am alive. He's saying, now we're witnesses. It wasn't just God's plan to raise Jesus. He really did raise him. He is alive today. Now, verse 33 now is key. Look with me here. Peter says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received, this is Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Okay, so this is where Peter is now pointing to Jesus alone as the one to whom we can come to receive this promised Spirit. Why? Because he's the one who has it. You see, he says, the Father gave Jesus the Spirit. And he's now pouring it out, which is why you're seeing all this miraculous stuff happening. He's trying to explain it. Now, I'm not even going to attempt to try to explain in a Trinitarian sense what is happening here, how it is that the second person of the Trinity could, could be given, the third person in the Holy Spirit from the Father. And pour out. I, It makes my mind hurt to try to think about it. But it's, it's what happened. It's what he's saying here. This is, in some mysterious sense, Jesus was given the Spirit, and now, as he promised, he pours it out, And that's now how we've been empowered to be his witnesses. And he says that's how how we can know that Jesus is the one that we need to focus on. He's the one we witness to because he's the one who can give you the Spirit. The Spirit for the Jews here in this context, which you've been hearing about all through these generations, you can now receive it through him. He's the one who has it. Look to him, he says. This is essential for our witness today And again, the whole reason Jesus doesn't make us powerful. He doesn't make us powerful. He makes us witnesses because if he were to remove our weakness, make us powerful, people would seek us. They'd seek us and our power. And God help us, we'd let them. We'd let them. But because he says, no, no, Jesus is the one. He's the one who works through our weakness. He hasn't made us powerful. He's made uh, Jesus. He's the one who we're pointing to. You look at any miracle later on that the apostles are going to do, they're going to keep saying, it's not us. Don't, we didn't do this in our own power. It was Jesus who was raised from the dead. It's always a platform for the witness of pointing to Jesus. He's the one through whom we receive the Spirit. So Jesus, when we point to him, we're pointing people to the one hope that they have as well, to receive the Spirit, the promise themselves. We're pointing them to the one place that they can go to to receive the work of the Spirit. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit, do you know what it is? It's to apply the work of Jesus on the cross to us so that we can be saved. He connects us to the work of Jesus on the cross so that we too can have Him and have His resurrection power in us. So we point to Jesus. And that's what Peter's doing here. Secondly, look at verse 39 over the page if you're using this pew bible this is how peter offers the promise to all without distinction he says verse 39 the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off i think there he's referring to gentiles because he's talking to a jewish audience for all whom the lord our god will call so not only is peter speaking to all these people and the apostles are declaring the wonders of god to them peter says here explicitly Promise is available to all. It doesn't matter about your, your age, your language, even your ethnicity. He said as much earlier when he was quoting uh, Joel, everyone, 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The promise is for all of you. And this shows us two things quickly that, that is absolutely a part of our witness. First of all, we see the reminder that we always need to have is that we don't get to choose who God uh, gets on his team. We don't get to pick and choose that. The promise is available for all. All who would call on the name of the Lord, which is why I like to say uh, so many times, God doesn't make us, when we become children of God, He doesn't make us bouncers and security guards at the gate to the kingdom. He makes us greeters. Every single one of us, He makes us greeters, welcoming people to come and receive the very same grace that we've received, freely and without cost. We say, come, come, it's for you too. Secondly of all, Peter's witness here is a call for us to work, to strive, to to labor for that same multilingual, multicultural, multi-ethnic picture of the fully realized kingdom of God that we see in places like Revelation 5, where men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation, language are gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus. That's the picture of the kingdom that we are working to expand towards. If you don't like people that are different with you, you're going to hate heaven. It's going to look, look around you this morning. This is what heaven is going to look like. Many nations, languages, tribes, it's all going to be a, a great gathering all together. The promise is for all. Bottom line is this. Dunbar Heights Church is not the point. We, we here in our little section of the world, us and, and protecting our own little kingdom here on the west side of Vancouver is not the point. The point is Jesus' ever-expanding kingdom. His ever-expanding kingdom, which is to extend to the ends of the earth without distinction. That is the kingdom we are to be about building. It's one of the reasons we put this poster at the back to think about every day, whose whose kingdom am I building? It's not ours. It's not yours. It's not the kingdom of Dunbar Heights. It's the kingdom of God we're seeking to build, and it is a diverse kingdom. The promise is for all. And this is the most beautiful part of all. Look at verse 37 when we see the result of their faithful witness. When the people heard this, when they heard the witness of Peter. What happened? Verse 37, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, as the result of Peter's pointing to Jesus as their only hope, along with just a cogent, reasoned response of pleading them to reconsider this Jesus who they thought they knew about, he's saying, you were wrong. You thought he was, he was nobody. You thought he was a hack. He really was the Lord of life, and you put him to death. When he shows them this, and his listeners hearing this message now, all together at once, all in their own languages, they are cut to the heart, devastated, overwhelmed at the, at the dread of what they've done. They hear, they, they hear and they get it. All at once, it's like a flood comes in just bursting through light, shining into their hearts, and they realize, what have we done? We are guilty. And their question is, what can we do? What do we do? do? Is there still hope for us? 
And look, Peter's hope-filled reply is no. No, it's not too late. Look at verse 38. He says, no, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, you too, will receive the promised Holy Spirit. It's for you too. Yes, you are guilty, but the promise is for you too. Turn to faith in Jesus, he says. Trust in Him, and you will receive the Spirit, he says. Be publicly baptized. Publicly show yourselves to be identified with Him. That's what baptism is. We're publicly declaring, this is what Jesus has done for me. I'm on His team. I'm a part of His family and kingdom. He says, do that, and you too will receive the Holy Spirit. And the result we see is that 3,000. Wow. 3,000 men, women, and children in one day are transferred. They walk the bridge from death to life. They walk the bridge from, from defeat to victory, from spirit-less to spirit-filled. Can you even imagine what that would have looked like to be there that day? Just a massive crowd of people all at once, repenting, crying out for this hope of the promise, and turning to Jesus in faith. It's an amazing picture. But I'll tell you what, for you and I today, we can still experience that same thing. We can know what it's like. No, no, we can't travel back in time in the DeLorean to, to be there for that day. But do you know that the spirit that empowered this witness, Peter and the apostles, is the very same spirit in you today? If you've trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have the very same Spirit living in you right now. My very strong hope and belief is as you come to recognize that, as you realize, man, this same Spirit is in me today, that you see that He's empowering your witness when you are given those opportunities to testify to the hope that's in you, and you're willing to step out in faith, step out boldly, and winsomely and lovingly to be a witness for Jesus. I promise you, all those who God has called to himself, they're going to listen. They will hear. They'll hear and they'll be cut to the heart and they're going to cry out to you as they see their sin before a holy God. What can I do? Is there any hope for me? Is the, is the promise for me too? And you are going to have the amazing privilege of welcoming a brand new son or daughter into the kingdom for the very first time. Some of you have known that privilege already. I know in this room today, uh, uh, some of you have experienced that privilege even this past year. We've been praying as a church for years for the Spirit to bring about new life in so many. Do you know in this past year alone, God has already, through the witness of some of the people in this room, has called five people already. Five people who are now a part of the kingdom of God because of the faithful witness of some of the people in this room. And that's not a testimony to you or to me or this church. It's a testimony of the power of the Spirit working through our willingness to be His witnesses. He's accomplishing his work. He's, he's building his church just like he promised. Praise God, it's happening here too. It's happening through you. 
as we are humbly and faithfully available to him. And the witness, the power of our witness today is just simply to know what Jesus has done for you. What has he done for you? And then witness to that. You be a witness to that, and we're going to see this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. God's going to grow his kingdom here, and he's going to expand it through every tribe and nation and tongue. Be faithful where he's called you. Be faithful to the ones he's called you to. And we're going to continue to see this fruit come as he empowers our witness in multiple different ways. Let's just be open to however he wants to do it.